Well, good morning, church family. And for those of you worshiping online, good morning to you as well. Someone just asked me this morning, when is Pastor Kate back from parental leave? And I said, funny you should ask that because it is today. So you will probably see Pastor Kate around and uh, baby Miriam as well. And uh, so be sure and greet her and let her know that, that you're glad that she is back. Um, some of you know that my oldest son, Wes, got married back in August. And like a lot of weddings, his wedding ceremony was sandwiched in between two important meals. The first meal took place the night before the wedding. After rehearsing the ceremony, Wes and his fiancée, Sarah, and their bridal party, what they called their I Do crew, and we as family members all gathered together for what's often called the rehearsal dinner. And this was Wes and Sarah's final meal as an engaged couple, their last meal before they became husband and wife. So we celebrated with tacos and sangria and uh, had a great time at the rehearsal dinner. The second meal came the next day, right after the ceremony. The wedding reception meal was their first meal together as husband and wife. The night before was a last meal. The reception meal was a first meal. And of course, the reception was filled with music and dancing and champagne toasts and speeches and of course, cake. And the reception meal marked the very first of many meals they would now share as husband and wife within the covenant of marriage. Marriage is a covenant. The establishing of that covenant was sandwiched between a last meal and a first meal. Well, we've been in a series called Welcome to the Table, and we've been looking at the theme of hospitality from the book of Luke in the Bible. And today we reach the most important meal in the book of Luke. Today we're going to look at the final meal that Jesus shared with his closest followers right before his suffering. And somewhat like a marriage covenant is sandwiched between a last meal and a first meal, the meal that we're going to see today in Luke chapter 22 starts as a last meal and becomes a first meal. So if you're able, would you stand for the reading of God's word as we look at Luke chapter 22, verses 14 through 20. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And Jesus said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, Jesus gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Then Jesus took the bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out 
for you. You can be seated. Luke presents this final meal as a Passover meal. Now, in Judaism, Passover is an annual meal that Jewish people share to remember how God set them free from their slavery in Egypt. You can read all about it in the 12th chapter of the book of Exodus in the Old Testament part of the Bible, the second book of the Bible, Exodus. On the night before Israel's departure from their slavery in Egypt, their leader, Moses, commanded them to gather in their homes to eat one last meal before they left. Each household in preparation for this meal was to slaughter a lamb and to smear some of the lamb's blood on the outer door frames of the house. And then they were to roast this lamb for dinner. But instead of sitting around a table to eat this dinner, God commanded the people of Israel to eat this meal standing up with their walking shoes on, their outdoor coat zipped up, and their walking stick in hand. And they were to eat this meal quickly, ready to leave at any moment. Since this meal was made hastily in a hurry, Without enough time for yeast to cause the bread to rise, the bread that they ate in this meal was unleavened bread, more like a cracker or a tortilla than a loaf of rye or a loaf of sourdough bread. And while the people of Israel would eat this strange new meal that God commanded them to eat, God poured out his judgment on Egypt for their enslavement of the ancient Hebrews. But God's judgment passed over every house with lamb's blood smeared on the doorframe, on every household eating this strange meal. That's why it's called the Passover, because God's judgment literally passed over the people of Israel while they ate this meal. And after this meal, they would leave Egypt never to return again. This event is called the Exodus, which comes from the Latin word for departure or exit. And from that day forward, every year, the people of Israel would remember this event with a Passover meal. The annual Passover meal was a meal of remembrance as each subsequent generation over thousands and thousands of years would retell their origin story as slaves who have been liberated by God. They would eat lamb roasted in bitter herbs to remember the bitterness of their ancestors being slaves. They would eat bread made without yeast to remember the readiness to leave at any moment. And they would retell their Exodus story every year for each new generation to hear. Maybe some of you have been to a Passover meal before and seen this in action. Now, in the Jewish calendar, the Passover meal takes place at sunset on the 14th day of Nisan in the Jewish calendar, which is usually March or April in the calendar that we typically use. 
And it's on this evening that Jesus gathers his apostles, his 12 apostles around a table for a final meal before his suffering. And even though they're in someone else's house, presumably in Jerusalem or near Jerusalem, Jesus is clearly the host at this meal. And he tells his 12 apostles as they recline around a table that he has been looking forward to sharing this Passover meal with them before he suffers. Now, this is probably not their first Passover meal together. After all, by now they've been together for a couple of years. But it was the final Passover meal before his suffering, before he would be betrayed by Judas, who was sitting at the table with him, rejected by the religious leaders, arrested by the Roman government, beaten by soldiers, and crucified by Roman executioners. This was his final meal before his passion, his suffering. And Jesus says in verse 16 of Luke 22 that he will not eat this meal again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. And that's an extremely important statement. The word it here refers to the Passover meal itself. You see, everything that the Passover meal signified was about to find its fulfillment in the suffering of Jesus. From Jesus' perspective, this Passover meal is the last Passover meal. The final meal of like an engaged couple before the covenant of marriage begins. For people who trust in Jesus, there is no other Passover meal than this. As the Bible puts it in 1 Corinthians 5-7, for us, Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Now, back then, this meal would take place in several stages. A Bible scholar named Joseph Fitzmaier says that it would start with a cup of wine shared among the people and a dish of bitter herbs on the table. And as the people shared in this first cup of wine, the meal would be served onto the table, but no one would eat any of it yet. And this is probably what we see happening in verse 17 as they share this first cup of wine. As they share this first cup of wine, Jesus says he will not drink again from the fruit of the vine, from drink wine again until the kingdom of God comes. Through his suffering, he is about to inaugurate the kingdom of God on earth. Next, according to Fitzmaier, the host would retell the story. The story of Israel's suffering as slaves in Egypt and how God raised up Moses to be their deliverer. The story of the Egyptian pharaoh's refusal to let God's people go and how God sent plagues of judgment on Egypt, culminating in a final plague where the firstborn, every firstborn in Egypt died, and only those with lamb's blood on their doorframe would be passed over in that judgment. And finally, the host would describe Israel's departure from slavery into freedom. And as the host retold the story, the people around the table would drink a second cup of wine. After retelling the story, the people would eat the lamb and eat the unleavened bread that had been prepared. And then lastly, they'd all sing a song together and drink a final cup of wine. The entire meal would last several hours. 
But at this Passover meal, Jesus doesn't follow the script. Instead of retelling the Exodus story, Jesus tells a different story. The story of his own suffering and death and the beginning of something new. What started as a last meal, somewhere along the line becomes a first meal. Jesus takes the Passover bread, gives thanks, breaks it, and gives it to them. But instead of saying anything about the Egyptians or Moses or the Pharaoh or Passover, Jesus said, this bread is my body given for you. This bread is my body. For centuries, Christians have struggled to understand exactly what Jesus meant when he said that the bread is his body. Does it mean the bread symbolizes his body, represents his body, contains his body, becomes his body? The the word Jesus uses can mean any of those things. And entire churches have defined themselves based on their interpretation of the word is in that verse. For what it's worth, I don't think that he means The bread literally becomes his body, but I also don't think it's merely a symbol either. Jesus tells them to eat this bread in remembrance of him. Not in remembrance of the Exodus story, but in remembrance of the Jesus story. And the Greek word for remembrance here, the Greek word is anamnesis, means more than just mentally recalling something from the past. It means bringing the past into the present. One Bible scholar says that it's recalling Christ's past suffering in such a way that the benefits of that suffering are experienced in the present, in remembrance. Jesus breaks the bread into pieces, and they each eat a piece of bread from the same unleavened loaf of bread. Then in verse 20, Jesus gives thanks or gives them the cup of wine to drink. And again, instead of relating the cup to the Exodus story as would happen at a Passover meal, he relates it to his coming death. Luke's version reads, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Matthew and Mark's version simply have Jesus saying, this is my blood. There's that word is again. Luke's version focuses on the new covenant. Centuries earlier, two Old Testament prophets, Ezekiel and Jeremiah, had predicted a time when God would establish a new covenant with people. And this new covenant would be characterized by the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God living within people and people's sins being forgiven and and the ability to obey God being written within our hearts. And Jesus says that this cup, which is his blood, would establish this promised, longed-for new covenant. The phrase, for you, in verse 20, it means on your behalf or even in your place. Jesus is about to die in our place, on our behalf, in order to establish this new covenant. 
You see, this meal is no longer a Passover meal. It started as a Passover meal, but it's become something different, something new. The Passover marked the beginning of the Old Covenant, but this meal marks the end of the Old Covenant and the beginning of a new covenant, which is why Christians don't celebrate the Passover but celebrate the practice that Jesus established at this meal. Now, before we apply this passage to us today, um, let me define some important words from this passage and how we apply it. Th- this event is often called the, Lord, the Last Supper, the Last Supper. The Last Supper is Jesus's final meal with his 12 apostles before his suffering. That's what we just read. All four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John describe the Last Supper, although Luke is the one who closely connects it to the Passover meal. So when we say the Last Supper, This is what we're referring to, this event. The Lord's Supper is the practice that Jesus instituted at the Last Supper. The the Last Supper is a non-repeatable historical event that we read about here. But the Lord's Supper is the practice Jesus instituted at the Last Supper for Christians to continue to practice. The Lord's Supper is the Christian equivalent of the annual Jewish Passover. The Lord's Supper is to the new covenant what the Passover was to the old covenant. Now we get this phrase, the Lord's Supper, from the Bible itself. That's the word 1 Corinthians 11.20 uses to describe this practice. And the Bible calls it the Lord's Supper because this is Jesus' meal. He is the host, and we are the guests at this table. And ever since the Last Supper, when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, Christians have been practicing the Lord's Supper ever since. Jesus doesn't say how often to. In in other places, he says, as often as you do it, do it in remembrance of me. And so some churches practice the Lord's Supper every week. Some practice it once a month, some every quarter, some once a year. Here at Glenkirk, we practice the Lord's Supper the first Sunday of the month, which happens to be today. Now, we sometimes use other words to describe this practice. So let me define a few of these other words. Some churches call the Lord's Supper an ordinance, an ordinance. This is especially true in churches, some non-denominational churches that that come from a a Baptist background. And this, this word ordinance, it really focuses on the fact that Jesus himself ordained or commanded this practice. In fact, he ordained two practices, the Lord's Supper and baptism. And so when we call the Lord's Supper an ordinance, which it is, we are emphasizing the fact that we eat at the bread and the cup of the Lord's Supper out of obedience to Jesus because Jesus commanded us to. It's a meal ordained by Jesus. But we also call the Lord's Supper a sacrament. A sacrament. A sacrament is a God-given visible sign of an invisible spiritual grace. 
Not all churches view the Lord's Supper as a sacrament, but I believe the Bible teaches both. It's both an ordinance commanded by Jesus, ordained by him, and a practice where we experience God's grace when we eat and drink in faith, trusting in Jesus. Now, the Lord's Supper has two visible signs, the bread and the cup. In the ancient world, bread and wine were the two most common features in every meal. People ate bread and drank wine at every meal, every day. Since, since most water back then was contaminated, um, they would drink wine mixed with water, and it served as kind of a purifier. Here at Glenkirk, we usually use unfermented wine or grape juice, though I've served at churches that use fermented wine. And as a sacrament, the bread and the cup are the visible signs of the Lord's Supper. Remember, there's a relationship between the bread and Jesus's body because he said, this is my body. And there's a relationship between the cup and his blood that was shed for us. And we experience God's grace of Christ's sacrificed body and shed blood by means of these two visible signs of the bread and the cup when we come to the table trusting in Jesus as our Savior. It's both an ordinance and a sacrament. Sometimes we also call the Lord's Supper communion. In fact, we probably use this word more than any. And the word communion comes from the Bible, from 1 Corinthians 10, 16, which in the King James translation says, the cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of of the body of Christ. The word communion in that verse is, is the Greek word koinonia. It means sharing, participation, union with, fellowship. When we drink the cup, we are participating and sharing in Christ's blood. When we eat the bread, we are participating and sharing in Christ's body. Eating and drinking are a means by which we commune with Jesus in his suffering. And then finally, we sometimes call the Lord's Supper the Eucharist, the Eucharist. The, the word Eucharist comes from a Greek verb, the verb eucharistio, which means to give thanks or to show gratitude. When verse 19 of Luke 22 says that Jesus gave thanks for the bread, Luke uses this verb, eucharistio. So the word Eucharist focuses on the gratitude part of the Lord's Supper, that we are thanking God for what Jesus did and he accomplished in his suffering when we take the bread and the cup. So let me finish by talking about what happens when we come in faith in Jesus to the table of the Lord's Supper. If you think in terms of grammar, there are three tenses to the Lord's Supper, a past tense, a present tense, and a future tense. And all three of these tenses happen simultaneously when we celebrate communion together. So let's start with the, the past tense. At the Lord's Supper, we give thanks for the past sacrifice of Jesus. We give thanks for the sacrifice of Jesus. The Lord's Supper is a kind of looking back, a calling into remembrance what Jesus did for us in the past. Just as Passover was a meal that looked back 
at how God had liberated Israel from their slavery in Egypt, we as Christians look back on the suffering of Jesus, his sacrificed body and his shed blood. Communion is a grateful remembrance, a thankful look back. And in this sense, the Lord's Supper is a memorial. And just as you might visit the 9-11 memorial in New York City or the Lincoln Memorial in Washington, D.C., when we celebrate communion, we are memorializing the death of Jesus. We are recalling Christ's sacrifice for us in the past with gratitude and thankfulness for all that it has achieved for us in the present because we're forgiven because of it. We have a relationship with God because of it. Now, churches that only believe the Lord's Supper is an ordinance usually only focus on this past tense part. But the Lord's Supper is more than just looking back. It also has a present tense. At the Lord's Supper, we receive the benefits of Christ's suffering in the present. We receive the benefits of Christ's suffering. This is the present tense of communion. Communion is an experience of God's grace and Christ's presence. Whenever we eat the bread and drink the cup in faith, trusting in Jesus. We experience God's grace through the visible signs of the bread and the cup. Maybe picture your life as, as going on a long journey on foot. Maybe if you were hiking the, the Pacific Crest Trail over a year. When you're on that kind of journey on foot, you get tired after a while. You have to stop and rest, and you need to refuel your body for nourishment. Otherwise, you'll eventually run out of gas, and you won't be able to finish the journey. Communion nourishes us with God's grace to strengthen our faith in the journey of faith. And without this nourishment, we run out of gas. Our faith gets weak and depleted. And we have difficulty persevering in our Christian life. See, consistent teaching from God's word and consistent participation in communion nourishes our faith when it becomes depleted. And I believe if most Christians really understood communion this way, they'd be running to church the first Sunday of the month and banging on the door, ready to come in and to take the Lord's Supper. Because communion nourishes us and strengthens our faith so we can persevere and continue in the spiritual journey of faith. And incidentally, if your faith is weak and fragile, that's not an indication that you should refrain from communion. That's an indication that you need it all the more, that you need the grace that comes when you trust in Jesus and come to receive the bread and the cup. And this is consistent with what the Bible teaches, what the 16th century reformers all believed, that eating the bread and drinking the cup, trusting in Jesus opens us to the benefits of Christ's suffering in the presence. And finally, there's a future tense to communion. At the Lord's Supper, we anticipate the future fulfillment of all of God's promises. We anticipate the fulfillment. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six that whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. 
The Lord's Supper is like the first course of the great banquet we read about in Revelation 19, the wedding supper of the Lamb. It's like an appetizer of this future feast. It's a foretaste of the fulfillment of all of God's promises. And this helps us look to the future, keeping our eyes open for Christ's second coming and the fulfillment of all the promises of God that have been made. Because until that day comes, we live in the in-between time. God making his promises, us experiencing some of these promises and the final fulfillment of all of those promises. Eating and drinking by faith in Jesus is an act of hope. Now, it's obviously no accident that I scheduled us to talk about the Lord's Supper in Luke, the same Sunday that we're scheduled to celebrate the Lord's Supper. Because when we say welcome to the table, there's is nowhere more visible than when we come to the communion table. Jesus is the host of this table. It's the Lord's Supper. It's not mine. It's not yours. It's not Glenkirk's. And I'll be joined in leading us through the Lord's Supper today by one of our elders, um, our youth elder from this last year, Juliana Mountain. Because in our tradition, once you're ordained as an elder, you're always an elder. And as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we'll look back in gratitude. We'll be nourished by God's grace in the present, and we'll look to the future with hope. But the Lord's Supper doesn't do anyone any good if they don't come to the table with faith in Jesus. See, we don't have to clean ourselves up or make ourselves worthy to come to the table. But we do need to welcome Jesus into our lives so that we can be welcomed to his table. To trust that he suffered for us to be reconciled into a relationship with God. To trust that he is present when we eat and drink by faith to strengthen us with his grace. And to trust that all of those promises that he made will one day be fulfilled when he comes again. So if you have trusted in him, we welcome you to this table today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the bread and the cup of communion. We thank you for this practice that Jesus instituted. And Lord, I have just scratched the surface of all the mystery of this sacrament, this ordinance, this practice you gave us. And as we sing this song, prepare our hearts to come forward to experience your presence, to be nourished in our faith for a grateful remembrance and a hopeful look to the future. In Christ's name, amen.